Praise the Lord out there, everyone in podcast land. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and we're here with you one more time with the Revelation Revolution podcast. I tell you, this is another going to be another exciting uh, podcast. We're getting back on our eschatological uh, uh, episodes, and this one is going to be really good because we're going to actually explore what difference does it make? Whether it's the Holy Spirit that's the restraining evil of Second Thessalonians chapter number 2 or it's of an angelic nature. Does it really make a difference? Why is this a big deal? And I tell you, you are going to be surprised, ladies and gentlemen. But I tell you, before we go any further, I have to inform you that you have just joined the Revelation Revolution. Praise the Lord again. It is so good to be with you. It is uh, June 25th, 2020, and I'm so glad to be with you one more time with this uh, wonderful podcast. Uh, just wanted to share some a few statistics with you. Uh, our podcast, we are up to... Uh, and I'm excited about this because it just shows how much you guys are supporting. We are up to 2700 2750 2750 listens, downloads or and I'm just blown away by that. I'm just blown away. People are tuning in, people are listening and and that's a very very important thing because uh, you know, uh, what I teach, it's, it's, it's something that the Lord gave me many, many years ago. And uh, as I've grown older and matured, he's matured me in how to uh, teach it and explain and to distribute uh, what God has uh, given me uh, to give to the body of Christ. Uh, I do want to make the announcement that I I do have a book that's going to be coming out. I'm probably going to wait to the fall. I want to see how this uh, COVID-19 thing is going to go with, you know, with our country is going to go back on another lockdown. We are seeing right now another surge in uh, several states. I think 29 states now have, uh, they, they are, are spiking and uh, there's a lot, of new, a lot of new infections happening. So uh, a lot of things are up in the air uh, in America right now. And it's just so, so much going on. Uh, but I, I don't want to get back into a political mode uh, and just want to uh, stay on eschatological subjects and the things that God has given me for this revelation revolution. And so, um, as I said in the opening uh, of our podcast, um, what difference does it make whether 
the restraining force of Second Thessalonians is the Holy Spirit or not. And so in order to delve into depth that question, uh, we are going to go to Second Thessalonians chapter number two and look at this text so that we can get the right perspective as I begin to uh, teach you during this episode. But let's have a brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, we thank you and praise you for your abundant mercy and your grace. And we thank you, Lord God, for being a good God in the midst of trouble and darkness that our country is going through. Lord God, we ask for your mercy and your wisdom. We pray for our president. And the reason why we pray for him, because your word says that we need to pray for those that are in authority over us. If they make wrong decisions, it affects us all. And so, Father, we're praying for him. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, President Donald Trump, we pray for him. Lord God, and we pray, Lord God, that you're able to lead and guide him in a way to where our nation doesn't completely fall apart. Lord God, turn him in a direction, Lord God, that's going to lead to peace and not problems. And so, Lord God, we give you praise and honor. But we also pray, Lord God, for all of our listeners right now in this podcast, whether Democratic, Republican or Independent, doesn't make a difference, Lord God. We're praying whether white, black, green, yellow or purple with polka dots. It doesn't make a difference, Lord God. We're praying for my brothers and sisters that are out there because, Lord God, we are all being affected in the on this planet by many things that you prophesied in your word that would come to pass. But, Lord God, we're giving you the glory right now. You have center stage of our lives, Lord God, so we can we call on your great name, Lord God, to save us and deliver us in the mighty name of Jesus. God save America in the name of Jesus. And we won't forget to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. Father, be with all of those that are tuned in, Lord God. Bless them and uh, uh, right now, Lord God. Keep them, deliver them, save them, Lord God. As we go forth in this life and in this world, uh, we give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I just wanted to uh, just share with you, uh, kind of go back and do a brief review so that we will be on one accord. First of all, the doctrine that I teach is called pre-wrath. Now, there are others out there that preach a doctrine called pre-wrath. I'm not aligned with anybody else's teaching though. I call it pre-wrath because of the scripture 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 verse 9. We're not appointed to wrath and that is why I call what I call the doctrine that I teach pre-wrath it's for no other reason it's not because I aligned with somebody else it's not because I 
read their material and now I disagree with them and I'm joining up with somebody. It's not not it at all. Uh, we have a certain direction that we go when we get into uh, the Thessalonian uh, uh, passages, particularly uh, the one that is in Second Thessalonians. So we're about to read it, but I just wanted to start you off there. Pre-wrath, where not the church is not appointed to the wrath of God. Now, the controversy is, is where do you start the wrath of God? If you preach frib, you say the wrath of God is all of Daniel's 70th week. Daniel's 70th week, a week of a week of seven years, the last prophetic week left to be uh, fulfilled on God's prophetic calendar of events. Before we go into the return of Christ, his second advent, when he comes back and sets up his kingdom here on earth and reigns on earth during a millennium. So I'm pre-millennial in the sense that I believe the rapture happens before the millennium. A absolutely. Uh, Pre-trib is pre-millennial. Uh, Pre-raph uh, pre is pre-millennial. Mid-trib is pre-millennial. Even post-trib is pre-millennial. Those are all the pre-millennial positions because we believe the rapture happens before the millennium starts. Now, so uh, so I'm in that camp. Now there are other camps. I'm millennial and all this other stuff. With that, we're not in that. I'm not teaching any of that. So the bottom line is the controversy comes in with that last seven-year period again. Pre-trib says the entire Daniel's entire 70th week is the wrath of God or quote unquote the day of the Lord. Okay, because the day of the Lord and the wrath of God are synonymous terms. Uh, both pre-trib and what I teach agrees with that. We, we would agree with each other because that's what the Bible teaches. Okay, so and this is why the uh, passage in First Thessalonians chapter number five, verse number nine says, "We're not appointed to wrath, but to attain salvation." So that's 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 where I'm taking that from. So dealing with Daniel's 70th week. Uh, what, what happens at the beginning of that week. As a matter of fact, let's turn to it uh, real quickly uh, so we can get an idea of what it is I'm teaching just in case there might be somebody that's just starting with us. So they, they, would, they would need to know. Okay. So um, um, uh, we're going to begin reading at Daniel 9.24. Uh, I'm going to read, not from the King James Version, I'm going to read from the NIV. Um, and just just a footnote on that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the King James Version, all, all, all of my scripture memory is King James because I, I came up on the King James, reading the King James Version of the Bible. I'm very comfortable with it. The problem is, is the syntax, a lot of the translations are based on 17th century uh, uh, English slant, slant Scottish English during the 17th century. So that's why you get all the thys and these and the thou's and all these other words that don't mean things and also uh, to us today. Uh, and also uh, in the King James translation, there are many archaic terms that we don't use 
the, where words actually have changed over time, the meanings of words and the use of words. Okay, so uh, and and one of the issues uh, with the King James is is a, a lot of the translations don't give the most reflective, the most uh, accurate uh, translation uh, to modern day English readers and thinkers. So uh, that's one of the issues. That's one of the reasons why not only do I use the King James version of the Bible, but I also use other versions to help bring the thought in. Uh, uh, fully in English because we have to understand the Bible was not written in English. English did not exist in Jesus' day. The, the language did not exist, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? So, uh, you know, those who are staunch King James only uh, uh, believers, and that's the true version of the Bible and all that, well, the King James version is an English version. The Bible was not written in English. Okay? So that means that the King James version could, uh, couldn't possibly be the original Bible because the Greek, the, the language they spoke back in those days were Corne Greek. And it was the, the manuscripts that were uh, translated into English came from the Greek manuscripts. And because Corne Greek is what people spoke, uh, the, that was the Greek of the common language, the common man. Okay? And so uh, 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 the the English language that we have didn't come along till centuries later. So obviously, and the King James Version didn't come along till the 17th century or 1611. And just just to give you a, a little history now, you know, the King James Version of the Bible actually was the NIV of its day. It was the new kid on the block. There were two other older English versions. I believe the Geneva Bible and the uh, Wycliffe uh, 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 Bible were, were English translations that were actually older than the King James. But anyway, uh, the the bottom line is, uh, is when the King James Version came out, there were there were critics of that. They were skeptical of the King James Version of the Bible because they seen it as a government version of the Bible. It, 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 it was it was convened and written because King James of Scotland uh, was the one who uh, commissioned to get it done and pull the scholars together to, to, to write and to translate the manuscripts, the ones that they had available at the time, of course, in, seven, in the 17th century that, that they didn't have modern technology, that they weren't able to dig up cities. There's a lot of things that's been found, archaeological finds that were not available to them that, was, that, that were found centuries later and we have but better manuscripts than what were available back then in the 17th century. Okay, uh, no one would use a 17th century medical book <laughs> to do their medicine to, to, to base their medicine on uh, today, right? Because we kind of like know a little bit more. But the bottom line is, is the King James version of the Bible actually was a version that was seen as the as, as a government version, a government commissioned Bible, because it's got the King James. He he was the government, right? And so it's got his name on it. Things like that, and so there was controversy when the King James came along because there were other English translations that that did it uh, that that were already out. So you have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, the seventeenth century, the Bible that we're reading goes back to documents that go all the way back to the first century. So the King James version of the Bible didn't come along until the English language came along, which was centuries later from the time that the original manuscripts or the autographs, uh, uh, the original manuscripts that were actually written by Paul on the pieces of paper. Those are called the autographs. Those are the original originals. Okay. Uh, so the King James Version of the Bible, it came along 17, 
seven sixteen hundred years later, ladies and gentlemen, sixteen hundred. So it's it doesn't make sense to say that the King James version of the Bible is the original Bible. It's it wasn't the first English version, and it certainly was not, and it, and it was certainly uh, written in a language that the people that were living at the time, like John and them, did not speak English. Okay, because number one. English didn't exist. So we have to understand that. But uh, so that I just wanted to p- put that in there because, you know, I-, I love the King James Version of the Bible. But the bottom line is, if you want to really get get into some really deep study, I, I recommend also having a have a keep your King James. If you like the King James, listen, when I when I go to church and I preach the Bible that I use, that I preach out is the King James Version of the Bible. But I'm going to tell you something. I've already done my study. I've already done all all the my, my expository work and exegesis and the places where that needs to be done uh, glory to God and I've already looked at uh, Greek texts and all of that stuff to uh, to bring about the best understanding and so other versions help with that and that's the bottom line so but anyway so uh, so let's go to Daniel chapter 24 9 24 and we're going to read uh, just a little bit uh, uh, and then we're going to get back to 2nd Thessalonians uh, verse number 24 it says 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish to finish the transgression to put it into sin and to atone to atone for wickedness to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place and then the verse 25 it says no one understand this that from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one the ruler comes there are seven sevens and sixty two sevens Okay, so seven seven. So what we're dealing with is it's called the seventieth week. They, these are dealing with seventy weeks of years. Okay, just like a, a, a regular week has seven days, these are weeks of years, and so that's why it's called. It's going to be seventy sevens. In other words, four hundred and ninety years. But the four hundred and ninety years, uh, the uh, there's a consecutive running of four hundred and eighty three years. Okay, 483 years run consecutive. But the the last seven years that's going to give us the 490th year, that's been a long delay and a, that, that has been on hold uh, uh, ever since, uh, you know, the age of the church has come in, it's been on hold and we're still, that's still running because uh, the 70th week there is there is going to be explained to us uh, in these next verses. Uh, verse number 25, it says, no, no and understand this that from the time of the word goes out to restore to rebuild Jerusalem okay and, and until the anointed one the ruler comes there will be seven sevens and sixty two sevens it will be uh, rebuilt with the streets and a trench but the times of trouble and after sixty two sevens the anointed one will be put to death the anointed one was, was Jesus Christ so after sixty two sevens uh, and uh, uh, these well, the first there was the seven sevens which just gives you uh, uh, 49 years and then the 62 sevens and you put that together so that gives us 69 fulfilled prophetic weeks the end of this 69th prophetic week was when Christ was uh, uh, was killed okay uh, 
And then it says uh, uh, in uh, verse 25, uh, verse 25b, it says, It will be rebuilt with the streets in a trench, but in the times of trouble. After 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and, and, and will have nothing. The people of the ruler will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. This happened in 70 AD when Titus, the Roman general, came and destroyed Jerusalem, burnt down the temple, all of that. Okay? Uh, 70 AD. Okay? Um, and then it goes and says, uh, the end will come like a flood and a war will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed and then now this is the important part and, I, and I, I know all that's difficult but I wanted to read the passage to you so you can go back and study them yourself you could read them in other versions whatever you want to do uh, but verse number 27 this is important it says and he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven and in the middle of the seven he will put it into the sacrifice and the offering offering and at the temple he will stand he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the time of the end that is decreed is poured out on him now let me just switch uh real quick to the uh let me go to the nasb okay uh, I'm going to read verse 25 again. It says, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore Jerusalem, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until the Messiah, uh, uh, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again, and the plaza and the moat, even in times of distress. After the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and it is and its end will come with the flood even until the end there will be a war and desolations are determined and then verse 27 verse 27 is talks about the last week so what you get in the verse 20, uh, uh, 24 and 25 26 you get the first 62 69 weeks of prophetic weeks because uh, we were told in verse 24 that there would be 70 weeks of years okay so 69 of those weeks have already been fulfilled Okay, and those, uh, and it ended. The f ending of that fulfillment was with, with Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. by Rome, the general, uh, the Roman general Titus. Okay, he came in. This is a historical fact. Look it up. Okay, now Jesus also mentioned something that's also important. Matthew 24, verse number 15. He said, "And when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet." And so this is why we're reading that because Jesus is the one. One that takes us back to Daniel. So, so we're dealing with this remaining seven seven year period. That's what the whole controversy is about. Okay. All right. So let me re continue reading this from the uh, NASB. Now, verse number twenty six. It says, "After the sixty and two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary." And its end will come with a flood, even to the end there will be a war, desolations are determined. Verse twenty seven, this is the this is the last week. And he shall make and he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. 
And in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and the grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction. That one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So, now, how we, how most people understand this is the person that's going to make this covenant is the person that's going to become the Antichrist. It says he will make a covenant with many for one week. Now, we believe that this is a Middle Eastern covenant in the Middle East with Israel and the Palestinians and the Jordanians and all these people, all, all the power players of the Middle East. Uh, I know that President Trump and Jerry, his son-in-law, Jerry Kushner, are working on what Trump called the deal of the century. There's supposed to be something going on maybe about July 1st. Uh, it has to do with the annexation of the, of the, I think, the West Bank and all of that. I'm not exactly sure about all the geographical aspects of this covenant that Trump is doing. But I'm bringing all this up uh, uh, because uh, of what the Bible says. The Bible says that he, the he there, is the person that's going to become the Antichrist. And the reason why I say he's the person that's going to become the Antichrist, because he is not the beast of revelation yet. He doesn't become the beast of revelation until a very specific thing happens, and we're going to get to that. Uh, and then all of a sudden he goes from being just he to the beast of Revelation chapter 13 uh, and uh, Revelation 17, uh, 7 and 8 and uh, 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 Revelation chapter 11 where it talks about uh, the person that kills the two witnesses is the beast that uh, ascends out of the bottomless pit. So we'll get to all of that. Just, just, just These are just comments I'm making now, but we're actually going to get to this. So the bottom line is... Uh, in the middle of this seven year period, the guy that makes the covenant, now remember, he's not the Antichrist yet, but he's technically going to become the Antichrist uh, for four, three and a half years. The Bible is very specific about the amount of time he has. Revelation 13 uh, tells us that he has 42 months. 42 months means 42 30 day months on the Jewish calendar, which is six, three and a half years. Three and a half years is significant because three and a half is half of seven. Seven is significant because this is the 70th week of Daniel, a period of seven years. So for the first three and a half years, uh, there will be, there's a, uh, uh, is, is, is doing that time of peace and basically and then all of a sudden uh, the person who signed that covenant is all of a sudden he's going to do the abomination of desolation and this is what Daniel was talking about in Daniel chapter 27 and he said he was going to take away the daily sacrifice he's going to take away the grain offering the daily sacrifice and the oblation a second Thessalonians says he's going to walk in the temple of God and declare himself to be God okay so we're going to get to all of this because it's very very important to understand what is the setup so we can get to what's restraining and all of that okay so we're I'm taking you on a little journey here so just bear with me so now uh, so what ends up happening is this is the 70th week of Daniel. This seven-year period is where the controversy is. Mid-trib says the rapture happens in the middle of the week. Pre-trib says the rapture happens before the week even gets here. Okay. Uh, the church just 
uh, uh, raptures uh, uh, instantaneously, and it's kind of like the left behind scenario. Okay, where, where people are going to be, the Christians are going to be flying planes and driving buses, and also they're going to disappear, and planes are going to crash, buses are going to crash, people are going to, you know, be, chaos is going to ensue because the Christians are suddenly taken from the earth, and the world is going to be thrown into chaos. And this is kind of the the uh, scenario that uh, uh, Tim LaHaye uh, did with his book series uh, Left Behind, and then they made a subsequent movie uh, about it. You know, the sudden disappearance of all the Christian, the world thrown into chaos because everything kind of like falls apart, and uh, the Holy Spirit is taken from the world, and the Holy Spirit is the the, the restrainer that uh, was holding back all the wickedness but now that the Holy Spirit is gone and the church is gone uh, 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 the sudden disappearance of the church and all the things Christians were doing now that they're off the planet and God is going to unleash his wrath so that's how the uh, left behind scenario goes and then that's basically the pre-trib scenario the pre-trib scenario is that is 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 that the rapture happens before that seven year period okay so um, and then if you're post-trib post-trib just basically means the rapture happens at the very end <clears throat> when Christ comes back to set up his kingdom that he takes up the, the Christians at that point he doesn't rapture them prior to he the rapture and the second coming are all done on the, at, as, at the same time on the same event so that's what post-trib believes so that's basically what and, and then pre-wrath what we believe is or what I teach is uh, uh, that the rapture happens sometimes after the middle of the week but before the end so exactly where in that calendar, I have no idea. Don't ask me. Don't write me, cause I, cause I don't know. Uh, but it, it happens at the some specific events, though, and we're going to get into that. So now, now that we kind of have the idea of what's going on now, the reason why Second Thessalonians is so important is this is a big scripture, ladies. It's a big passage. Now, let me just say this, because some people are going to think that I'm saying that pre-trib is solely based on 2 Thessalonians and it's not. It's not solely based on the restrainer being the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not. There's other aspects of that doctrine. There's a whole bunch of other things and in my upcoming book series I'm going to de debunk all of them. There's several aspects of it. Well, we're beginning at the restrainer because it's a fundamental piece of pre-tribulationism. Okay? So, let us proceed now to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to begin reading at verse uh, number 1. And I'm going to switch back to the King James. It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together to him, that ye not be soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. Okay, let's just put a footnote here. The prevailing thought is, is that Paul's writing this second epistle after having already spent time in Thessalonica with the, with the Christians there, uh, and, that's, and that's why the book is called Thessalonians, because he's writing to the Christians at Thessalonica. Okay, so the bottom line is someone wrote a bogus letter under apostolic authority. Maybe they said it was Paul. And they were saying that the persecution that the Thessalonian church was going through at the time 
was because they were in the day of the Lord. Okay, now. This is important because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul's first epistle and the time Paul spent with these Christians, he taught them that we're not appointed to wrath. We're not appointed to the day of the Lord. Okay? Because before the day of the Lord comes, the Lord will come back for his church so we wouldn't so the church wouldn't be on earth to endure God's wrath. Okay? Alright? So he had already taught them that. Well, sometime after that point, there was another epistle written by somebody else, and maybe they put Paul's name on it or something like that, saying that the persecution that they were going through, and the, the, Thessal the church at Thessalonica was really going through severe persecution. As a matter of fact, it is spoken of in the first part of Second Thessalonians. Uh, when you get a chance, just read First Thessalonians, and Paul talks about how the the persecution that that, that they were going through uh, is a is a right, righteous token. Uh, is, 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 a, is evidence that they are righteous and that they're on the right side and the fact that they're going through this is evidence that they have been counted worthy to suffer with Christ and so uh, uh, which is a message that is completely lost on western Christians today because western Christians ain't trying to hear nothing about no suffering going through getting heads cut off and losing stuff they ain't trying to hear none of that uh, but this is what was typical during the first century uh, the first 300 years were very bloody Christians were killed all the time and and they were done in the Circus Maximus in Rome, uh, and while as gladiators cut up Christians and lions tore people to uh, Christians to pieces, and they set Christians on fire and used them as human torches, all sorts of perverted things. People that uh, uh, Caligula and all these other uh, 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 insane Antichrist type of Roman emperors that also uh, promoted uh, emperor worship and Christians were actually uh, executed and martyred uh, for being atheists because they bowed, they've refused to bow to Caesar as Lord and uh, the, the great martyrdom of Polycarp, you can read about that uh, as a matter of fact I'm going to have that, a section of that on, in my new book that's coming out of Poly, uh, uh, Polycarp's martyrdom Polycarp was the bishop of the church of Smyrna and uh, they wanted to let him go and everything because they really liked him you know but he refused to denounce uh, 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 Christ and refused to say Caesar was Lord so they set him on fire and so uh, these were this stuff like this was typical but today's Christians we're just not trying to hear that 21st oh that was back then and we're all we're all better now and we're all fine and God wouldn't let us go through that I just want you to just just hear what is being said as much sin and wickedness as there is in the church God wouldn't let us go through something. I mean, come on, give us a break. Uh, Bible, the Bible says, judgment must first come into the house of the Lord. He says, guess what? If the righteous barely make it, where will, wherewith will the sinner stand? So that's, you know, this gives you a clue. You know, that uh, there are some serious times coming. And this is why this particular subject is so important. Okay, now. So, now we beseech you, brother, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, Second uh, uh, Thessalonians 2, 1, and uh, uh, our gathering together to him, that you not be soon shaken in mind, nor be troubled, neither, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. So, the thing that, that's interesting is, is that uh, the way that King James constructs Instruction uh, puts the verse number two as it as it says. It said not to be soon taken in mind. It's almost like Paul is saying, "Listen, uh, uh, this isn't about to happen yet." 
You know, it's it's not. No matter even if you did get this letter that had my name on it, he said if you get, if you get another letter, I'm about to I'm about to break it down to you. Okay, this is what he says, verse number three. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. One of the there's two going to be two signs. There's going to be a falling away first, an apostasia, which means a defection from the faith. Okay, but this this would be a noticeable defection. This won't be a gradual thing to where he's just talking about how it gradually people are going to defect from the face of defect from the Christian faith this is going to be something that's noticeable as a as a as a, an event an event or a happening something happens in the world and Christians abandon the faith of Christianity this is talking about the falling away Jesus actually talks about it let me just digress and go back to uh, Matthew chapter uh, number 24 I, I, I've got to read this because I want, to, want you to have the context for it uh, what, what is about to be said here uh, so let me get to it all right, I'm going to switch to the NIV because I like how the NIV puts this. Okay, now this is what Jesus says. Uh, verse number 9, uh, Matthew 24, verse number 9, I'm reading from the NIV. He says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated of all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and be and betray and hate one another. Okay, so this is what Jesus is talking about. Because of the persecution that's going to come, and people are going to be getting put to death and everything. This is, this, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to happen. This is why the Lord put it in in His Bible, in the Bible, so that we would have the information. This is this is what's going to happen. Okay, now I know people say, but He's talking. Jesus is talking to the Jews. He's talking to this. He's not talking about the church. Well, the people he's talking to is the disciples. The disciples were the first Christians. So they might have been Jews, but they were the first Christians. So, I mean, if you're going to make that analogy, that because he's talking to the disciples who were Jewish, uh, that he's only talking to the Jews, then you also have to say, well, these Jews were the first Christians, so he's also talking to Christians. So, I mean, you see, when, when, when you try to parse it like that and split hairs like that, you know... There's always a bigger fish, you know. So that's that's the issue. But so let's go back to uh, a Second Thessalonians. So I just I just wanted I just wanted to read that to you because one of the things he said there's going to be a falling away first. Okay. So again, so let's go back to uh, a verse number three, uh, um, and let me switch back to uh, the King James. Verse number three, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day will not come, except there come a falling away first. And this is what Jesus said, it's going to come a time of great persecution. People are going to fall, turn away from the faith. They're going to be hurt, be, uh, betray one another. Why? Because they're going to be getting put to death. They're going to be, people are going to be getting martyred and put to death. The second thing that's going to happen, that before the day of the Lord can come, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Now what Paul is giving us here is another vision of the abomination of desolation that Jesus talked about in Matthew uh, 20 and uh, Matthew 24 15 and this is the, uh, the digress go and let's go back there 24 15 I just want to read this for you so you kind of know and write be writing these scriptures down as well it says uh, number 15 it says verse 15 Matthew 24 
When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. The holy place is the temple. Okay, whoso read it, let him understand. Okay, so now uh, Jesus is giving us the, the prophetic sign that uh, this, uh, referring us back to Daniel. And Daniel told us what was going to happen during that 70th week. Daniel said during that 70th week, he, the, he was going to make a, the, uh, uh, the person that's going to become the Antichrist is going to make a covenant with many people for one seven year period. But then in the middle of that period, he's going to take away their daily sacrifice and the oblation. So uh, Paul now gives us some details on that. The reason why he takes away the daily sacrifice and the, obla and the oblation is because he's going to exalt himself a above all that is called God or that is worship so that he sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God he takes that stuff away that Daniel talks about because now he wants worship as God so the key thing we have to understand is it said he sitteth in the temple of God right now the Jews don't have a temple the last one was torn down in 70 AG 70 AD when Titus the Roman soldier general came in and destroyed Jerusalem with it the temple and Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24 as a matter of fact, let me just go back there. I keep uh, digressing in Matthew 24 because these are these are things that you guys need to to know. So uh, Matthew 24. Let me get to it real quick for you. Matthew 24 and getting I begin at verse three, number three and uh, verse number two. Well, verse number one, and, he, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. You know, they were kind of excited, you know, like, you know, they were in Jerusalem, you know, all Jews, you know, Jesus grew up in Nazareth, you know, and, 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 and he was in the other regions around every, they, they weren't always like they were in Jerusalem every five minutes. So they weren't. So now that they're in Jerusalem, Jesus goes to the temple, the, the, the disciples are excited about the temple. They're showing it off because it isn't a beautiful building, glorious, blah, 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 blah. Jesus hits with a bombshell, verse number two. Jesus said unto him, See not all these things? Verily I say to you, there shall not be one, not left here one stone upon another, they shall be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? And so now the context, this is they've go, going into an eschatological conversation. And so Jesus tells them about the things that's going to lead up to that final time and some of the aspects of what's going to happen during that time. During that 70th week of Daniel, that seven-year period in the middle of that that's when the antichrist walks in that's when he becomes the antichrist the clock for his 42 month reign starts when he walks in that temple calls himself god then we're in that second half of that seven year period okay so that's when he walks in the temple calls himself god and all of that so paul is picking up on this same theme that jesus told his disciples okay one of the he said two things have to happen first though before this uh, the, this, the, the day of the Lord comes. He said two things have to happen. Number one, there has to be a falling away first. There has to be a falling away first. That has to happen. Okay, the second thing that has to happen is the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Okay, so... Uh, and then 
the revealing of the Antichrist is then is then amplified by what he's going to do when he's revealed. Verse number four, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. I'm back in Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse number four I'm reading from. Who opposeth and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Okay, now, so that's what he's going to do. He's going to walk in that temple. He's going to take away the daily sacrifice. He's going to he's gonna go berserk and call himself God. Okay, and, and demand worship. All right. Okay, now, so that's the second thing that has to happen before the day of the Lord can come. Now, however, there's there's something that's holding back the revealing of the Antichrist. Okay, so we're going to get to that. So let me read verse 4 again. It says, Who opposeth and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Verse number 5. Remember ye not when I was with you, I told you. Uh, was yet with you, I told you these things. He said, Now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. So now, in verse Number six, Paul mentions there is, is something that he's identifying as a what that's withholding the word Greek word there is katako, uh, and it means to restrain, to hold back, to hold down something. Okay, now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in this time. There is something that is holding back. Antichrist being revealed in his time frame. Now, his time frame is that last 42 months of Revelation chapter number uh, 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 13. And we're going we're to be going there in a minute. But the bottom line is that something's holding back the revealing. Okay, so two things had to happen. First of all, there's a falling away and the man of sin be revealed. That's the Antichrist be revealed. However, something is holding back. The revealing is the second thing that has to happen, but something is holding back the revealing. Paul doesn't say what it is. He said, now you know what is withholding. So he calls it what in verse number six. And then in verse number seven, he reveals something else. He said, for the mystery of iniquity or the mystery of lawlessness do have already work. Only he now he identifies it as a he. First in verse number six, he identified it as a what neuter. Now in verse seven, he identifies it as a he. Only he who now letteth in King James, letteth doesn't mean anything to us today in English. <laughs> you know, letteth means to restrain. So I'm gonna I'm gonna actually switch versions and read it read it over again. Uh, he who now letteth will let till he be taken out of the way. So now we've got something that Paul refers to as a what and a he that's restraining the antichrist that requires being taken out of the way okay so now let's let's go back to um, let's do the NIV on verse number 7 okay it says uh, verse number 7 NIV for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work but the one who holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way that's how they how they say it in NIV let's go with the NASB 
Uh, NASB says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains ah, will do so until he is taken out of the way. Okay, then the lawless one will be revealed with whom the Lord shall slay with the breath of his mouth and and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Okay, now. So now we get now we get into this to the thickness of where all the controversy is. Paul when he was with the Thessalonians told them who the he was. And the what was. They, the Thessalonians already knew. But by the time he wrote Second Thessalonians. To counteract that bogus letter camp coming. That was sent to them. Saying that they were in the day of the Lord. Paul writes this. His appeal. Giving the details again. But he doesn't cover. The who this was aspect. Because he had already told them. So he didn't cover that. And so this is why this is why at verse let me just read this part to you again at verse number five. He says, Do you not remember that while I was still with you I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now. Okay, see this is what he's saying, so that he may be so that time he may be revealed. For the uh, uh for the mystery of a lawless is already work at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So now, uh uh Paul says, I already told you guys this, so, so I'm not gonna cover that part so you already know. <laughs> you know, what anybody would give for Paul to have went on and said it again, but Paul didn't say it again. So now we have to figure out out who is doing the restraining now what you believe about the restrainer informs how you see the timing of the rapture okay and according to those who believe teach pre-trib the person that is doing the restrainer is the Holy Spirit okay now Obviously, Paul doesn't say it's the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say that. Clearly, he does not. But this is the what is conjectured by pre-trib and dispensationalists when they came up with who is the one that is restraining the Antichrist. So, uh, this is where all of the controversy lies. Okay, so um, this is I'm re what I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you from the believer's commentary. And uh, it's important I want you to listen. This is page uh, 2054 the New Testament Thessalonians dealing with the coming of the day of the Lord. Okay, this is what uh, the commentary says. In the first part of the verse, number six, the restrainer is described as an in in an impersonal way. What is restraining? But then in verse seven, it is a person, he, who now restrains. E.W. Rogers puts it clearly. It is something and someone who wittingly, purposely, de designatedly, designedly, excuse me, holds it in check with the view with the view to ensuing that the man of sin is revealed in his own proper time. Okay? Now, 
seven of the more common views as to the identity of the restrainer are number one, the Roman Empire, number two, the Jewish state, number three, Satan, number four, the principle of law and order found in human government, number five, God, number six, the Holy Spirit, number seven, the true church as indwelt by the Spirit. Now, the, okay, so ladies and gentlemen, I want you to follow me here now. The Bible, Paul did not say who the restrainer was. So what theologians have done, specifically pre-trip theologians, they, they do go back and they choose some of the historic people that. Now, the, uh, the Roman government and law and order, the Jewish state. I think the Jewish state, uh, that I, I don't, I'm not sure if that was the one that John Kelvin said. I, I talk about it in my book. Uh, the Roman Empire, a lot of people like Martin Luther and all these people, that's what they were saying. But the people who they're quoting here is coming up with who these people could be. A lot of these principles came from the reformers like Calvin and all of them. They came from them uh, and they were nowhere close to the end times. So their, so their understanding, like people like Matthew Henry and John Gill and Jameson Fawcett and Brown and, and Matthew Poole commentary and uh, Adam Clark, all these people that were writing uh, commentaries back in the day of, uh, uh, of, the, of the, uh, 17th, uh, the 17th and uh, uh, the 18th century and the 19th century that was writing commentaries, they just simply had no clue because these are people, the, 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 uh, the coming of the Lord was nowhere close to their time. So, so the Holy Spirit wasn't given insight. So a lot of the stuff that they came up with, like the Jewish state and the Roman Empire, well, it's easy to defeat those because those, none of those make sense. And so this is what the, part of the writer of the Believer's Commentary, uh, this is why he cites those because he's given us historic ones okay so let's go over the seven candidates for who the restrainer is it's the Roman Empire number one the Jewish state number two Satan number three the, the principle of law and order number four as found in human government number five God number six the Holy Spirit and number seven the true church as indwelt by the Holy Spirit now dispensationalists threw that one in because they're going somewhere with that case okay now this is what it says next the Holy Spirit indwelling the church and the individual believer seems to fit the description of the restrainer more completely and accurate than any of the others just as the restrainer is spoken of as something and someone in this chapter so the spirit was spoken of in John so the spirit is spoken of in John uh, uh, 14 26 okay now we're going to read these passages and what pre-trib is doing, and this guy that's writing this is a pre-trib opponent. What pre-trib is doing here, they're setting up their argument. So the first passage they use as a proof text is John 14, 26. And this is what this passage says. But the comforter which is the Holy Ghost in whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So notice the masculine pronoun he is used in regards to the comforter. Okay. 
So then the next passage they give is uh, John fifteen twenty six. It says, but when the comforter is come, who I will send to you from the father, even the spirit of truth, which proceeded from the father, he shall testify of me again. 15, uh, uh, 56 shows that the Holy Spirit was spoken of as a he. Then he goes to 16, 8. John again, 16, 8. He says, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Okay. And then uh, he is used again. How be it when we, uh, when he, how be it? When he, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth and he will speak not of himself, but whosoever he, whatsoever he hear that he shall speak he will show you things to come. Okay. That's verse 13, 16, 13. Now 16, 14. He will glorify me for he shall receive of mine and they shall and he will show it to you. Okay, now. So this is some of the uh, proof text that they're using. Now, both neuter, the Holy Spirit and masculine he. As early as Genesis 6, 3, the Holy Spirit is spoken of in connection with the restraint of evil. Now, now, it, it, now notice now how they switched the concept. This is important that you understand this. Now they jump back to Genesis 3. And what he says is, as early as Genesis 6, 3, the Holy Spirit is spoken of in connection with the restraint of evil. But wait a minute. This passage that we just read about is not dealing with the restraint of evil in general. This passage is dealing with the restraint of the Antichrist or the beast or the son of perdition or the man of lawlessness, the man of sin. That's what the context of this. So what pre-trib did is they expanded the concept and said, well, the Holy Spirit restrains evil. So now they have thrown the Holy Spirit. If they kind of like created a new job for him and in and, and, and light of what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians, now they're looking to match that concept up with 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 these other texts as proof texts. So this is why they went to John. Well, first of all, they got to show that the he, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a he and a what sometimes. OK, fine. So now they're saying and we can go all the way back to Genesis 6, 3 and see how the Holy Spirit has been restraining evil. But the restraint of evil is not what Sex and Thessalonians is about. It's about what's holding back the revealing of the man of sin. The Antichrist. So we're not even talking about restraint of evil down through the ages. We're not talking about that. But anyway, let's let, let's read uh, Genesis 6, 3. It says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he is also flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Uh, the Bible talks about, here it's talking about, my spirit will not always strive with man. Strive in the, in this Hebrew context, is talking about to contend with. Okay, wait a minute. If you're contending with somebody, then that means they're not restrained. 
you you don't have to you don't have to contend with somebody that's that's restrained already okay because if they're already restrained the word contend there doesn't mean restrain it means to contend with but how did the holy spirit contend with the people doing this? this is talking about right before the flood well through conviction through through noah's preaching but obviously the people were still free to sin and they did continue to sin they obviously did, uh, ignored the holy spirit they obviously ignored them that's why God ended up flooding the world. So it isn't that the Holy Spirit was restraining people from sinning. He wasn't doing that because that's what it's talking about in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians saying Antichrist is literally restrained. Something is literally holding him back in order and preventing him from being revealed. But in Genesis 6, 3, the Holy Spirit was not preventing sinners from sinning. So I don't even know why they use this text, but it's, it's their shot to try to nail down the concept. So moving right along. So uh, early as Genesis 6, 3, the Holy Spirit is spoken of in connection with the restraint of evil. Then later he is seen in the same role in Isaiah 59, uh, 19b. Okay, so let's read that passage. It says, So then they that fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, when the enemy shall come in like the flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Okay, now, uh, let's let's actually go to that passage. And uh, what we're going to do is we're actually going to read it from the NASB because in the King James Version, it, it says lift up a standard. So with the idea that you get there is like the uh, the Holy Spirit is becoming some kind of a spiritual bulk work that's kind of like blocking the enemy when he's coming in at the, like a flood. But that's because they use the King James Version. Now in the King James Version, it says lift up a standard. Uh, the word uh, there is noose. In the Hebrew, it's only translated one time as lift up a standard. Uh, and normally it's... Uh, 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 it's, it's, it's not really translated that way, but let's look at how it uh, says it in the NASB. Same verse. So they, so when they fear the name of the Lord from the west, His glory shall be His glory from the rising of the sun. He will come like a rushing stream, which the wind drives, which which the wind of the Lord drives. Now wait a minute. It doesn't see see. Th the King James gives an impression that the Holy Spirit is like throws up a wall to block it. But that's really not how the passage should read because it's not the best translation. The idea is, is the Lord, it comes like a rushing stream to drive something along. It has nothing to do with restraining anything. See, 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 that, that, that concept only works when you use the King James Version, because when you read the other versions, it doesn't, it doesn't quite translate the same way. Uh, if we look at the same verse in the NIV, this is what it says. From the West, the people will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun, they will give... They, they will revere his glory for he will come like a pent-up flood at, that the breath of the Lord drives along. So again, you're really not getting this idea of some spiritual bulk work of some type 
uh, uh, you're, you're really not getting that idea at all. Okay, let's look at the other proof text. Then he goes to this proof text. Uh, uh, St. John uh, chapter 16, 7 through 11. And he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him. Notice the uh, personal pronoun uh, uh, him uh, is used. Masculine pronoun, rather. Verse number 8. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin. Okay. Uh, there it is again. Uh, uh, we see the masculine pronoun. And then the other text they use is 1 John 4 and 4. And this is what it says. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Okay, so now the, the uh, Holy Spirit is said he's in you and, and he's called a he. So now these are the proof text. So this is what the commentary goes on to say. It is by the indwelling spirit that the believers are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Salt is a preservative, but it is also hinders the spread of corruption. Light dispels darkness and the spirit in which men love to perform their evil deeds. When the Holy Spirit leaves, now notice this season, when the Holy Spirit leaves the world as a permanent indweller of the church and the individual believers, the restraint of lawlessness will be be gone so now they have concluded that the Holy Spirit is the restrainer living and residing in the church now ladies and gentlemen the Bible did, doesn't say any of that how they reached that conclusion was by tying the scriptures together that they did what are those scriptures first John I mean John chapter 14 26 15 26 16 8 16 13 16 14 then they go to Isaiah 59 19 then they come back to John 16 uh, 7 through 11 and first John 1 uh, first John 4 and 4 and then they go far back is Genesis 6 and three so they make the conclusion that it is the holy spirit that is going to be removed and since the holy spirit is uh is in the church when the holy spirit goes uh, uh, uh the church has to go so let me read this again so you get it it is by the indwelling spirit that the believers are the salt of the earth so listen to their logic and the light of the world salt is a preservative but it is also hinders the spread of corruption so light dispels darkness in this fear in which men love to perform their evil deeds. When the Holy Spirit leaves the world, okay, listen to what they said now. So now they have determined that the Holy Spirit is the he there. Because they're saying the other the other candidates doesn't work. Who were the other candidates? Remember? The Roman Empire, the Jewish state, Satan, the principle of law and order, uh, founded human government, God, the Holy Spirit, and the true church as indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now those are the options they put out. Then they said none of those work but the last one. And 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 remember, it's not that the verse says this, this is us saying this is who we think it is. Okay, now. So so let me read this part again. When the Holy Spirit leaves the world as a permanent indweller of the church, the individual believers and the individual believers, the restraint of lawlessness will be gone. Okay? So now, this is what pre-trib bases the idea that the Holy Spirit leaves 
the earth as indwelt by true believers as indwelt in the true believers making up the church so when the Holy Spirit goes the church has to go that's where they come up with that that's how they use this passage ladies and gentlemen I'm not making this up okay I'm not making this up so the issue is this is what pre-trib is based on well, one of the main scriptures is not the only thing but this is the most direct passage that they have that they use for this uh, matter of fact, Dr. John Walvoor says th this passage contains information not found anywhere else in the Bible, in, his be in the believer's commentary. And uh, also, uh, uh, Dr. Well, well, and in the rapture question, I think he says that. And then also in his book, The Rapture Question, I'm just paraphrasing, uh, quoting from memory, he says, uh, while in the realm of debatable conclusions, Second Thessalonians seems to be a confirmation that the uh, rapture, that, there, that this is a pre-trib rapture, and it happens before for the revealing of the Antichrist because one of the things that have to be happen before the day of the Lord can come remember the apostasy or the falling away has to happen and then the man of sin be revealed whether well, when the man of sin be revealed that's the Antichrist so pre-trib says the man of sin is going to be revealed at the beginning of Daniel 70 week when he signs that covenant Okay, that's how they interpret that. So this is why they say, and then they, and then they couple that with what Second Thessalonians say. They say there's a he that's restraining them. Then they go, who else can the he be? It can't be the Roman government. It can't be the Jewish state. It can't be God. It can't be the Holy Spirit. It has to be the Holy Spirit and the church. So they tie the church in with it. Now this is their conclusion. Paul did not say that in that verse. That's the point I'm making. He didn't say that. This is what pre-trib concludes so it's the Holy Spirit in the church so if the Holy Spirit in the church is the one that has to be removed for the Antichrist to be revealed that's why they have a scripture that backs up a pre-trib rapture that's where that comes from now that's a whole bunch of jumping through hoops to make that work but the question I want to ask you is ladies and gentlemen if you want to know about the Antichrist, you need to turn to the, to the to the chapters of the Bible that actually talk about the Antichrist. Okay, so let's go back and ask you this question. John 14, 26. Does that have anything to do with end time prophecy? Does it have anything to do with the Antichrist or the restraint or the restrainer in that in that verse? The answer to that question is no. Okay, let's read it again. It says, But the Comforter, when he, which is the Holy Ghost, when the Father shall send in my name, when he shall teach you all things. That scripture has nothing to do with the Antichrist. It has nothing to do with the end time prophecy. It has nothing to do with apocalyptic literature. It has nothing to do with the restraining of the Antichrist. The other, the other scripture they use, uh, uh, John 15, 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of Truth, which proceedeth out from the Father, he shall testify me does that have anything to do with the antichrist does that have anything to do with apocalyptic literature does it have anything to do with the restraint of antichrist answer that question no okay now 16 uh, 8 then 16 13 16 14 Isaiah, John, all of these other ones they use, and Genesis 13, Genesis 6 and 3, none of those scriptures are have anything to do with what Paul is talking about in 2 Thessalonians. 
It has nothing to do with that. Those passages aren't eschatological passages. Those, those scriptures has nothing to do with the Antichrist. The question is, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to know what's restraining the, the Antichrist, then you need to go to the book of Revelation that deals with the Antichrist. That's what you have to do. You have to go to the scriptures that deal with the Antichrist. That way, you're on point. Then you're not just grabbing text to prove a point. Oh, they're going, well, the Holy Ghost is called a he. The Holy Ghost is called a him. And then they refer to him in a neuter. See, they did it to the Holy Spirit. So it's got to be the Holy Spirit. And the reason why it has to be the Holy Spirit because the Roman Empire doesn't work. The Jewish state doesn't work. The, the uh, uh, law and order doesn't work. We know law and order doesn't work. You look at, look at our country right now. I mean, my goodness, right? So we know that doesn't work. So they're saying, so they throw these things out. They say, so it can only be the Holy Spirit in the church. That's what we think it is. So now that's what Preach Rap teaches. Preach Rap says, yeah, we're, we're raptured. We're out of here. When the restrainer leaves, so then they call the Holy Spirit the restrainer. And when the restrainer leaves, then you get that Tim LaHaye thing. All of a sudden, the world is going on, and all of a sudden, the trumpet blows. Uh, uh, the seven, the last trumpet blows. Boom! All of a sudden, all the instantaneously, all the Christians are bam, they're gone in the twinkling of an eye, just like the Bible says. But it happens, and it just so happens to be an airplane pilot. Uh, you, you, uh, hopefully, the co-pilot, if he if he ain't a Christian, he's on that airplane. He can take over flying the plane. But if they both Christians, y'all in trouble because y'all. Are, I don't care. Y'all crashing. Okay. And then all of the chaos that's going to happen because of the Christians leaving the world is going to throw the world into a chaos and lawlessness. The Holy Spirit won't be here to stop it. And so the world is going to get real messed up. And then the Antichrist is going to walk on the scene with all the answers. That's the scenario they painted based on the fact of the Holy Spirit being the restrainer. So now all of this stuff was created, ladies and gentlemen. All of it was from saying the Holy Spirit is the restrainer. Okay? Alright. This is what I want you to do. Come with me in the book of the Revelation. And we're gonna we're gonna look we're gonna look at the Antichrist. Look at him. And we're gonna make some determinations, probably some stuff that you've never really seen before. But ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna find out. Now Let's go to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation 11 is interesting because it talks about the two witnesses. But I don't want to so much focus in on them. But we're going to read about them. Verse number 4, chapter 11. Okay. All right. Um, verse number 3. And I will appoint my two witnesses. Revelation 11, chapter 3. And they will prophesy for 1260 days. That's 360 years. Three, three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth. They are my two olive trees and two lampstands. And they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes out of their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens. So that it not rain during the time of their prophesying. They have power to turn waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Verse number seven. Now listen to this. Now when they have finished 
their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them, overpower them, and kill them. Ladies and gentlemen, Revelation chapter 11, verse number 7, is the first time the beast is mentioned in Revelation. Now, some conjecture the rider on the white horse is the Antichrist when he's in his peace persona when he comes to sign the covenant. The reason why I say this one is the first because as we're going to find out, the beast only has 42 months. He's technically not the Antichrist at the beginning of the week. He only has 42 months as the beast. Revelation says the beast comes up from the abyss. Now, if we switch over to the King James, let's read, let's read this. It says, and when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit. And King James, it's the, the Greek word there is abusos. And the King James is bottomless pit. In all of the other translations, it's the abyss. Because that's the Greek, that's the English transliteration of the Greek word abusos. Okay? So, this is the first time Antichrist or the beast is mentioned in Revelation. It's not, and I, and I speak of the beast persona, not, not the one that people claim, because the bottom line is we really don't know who that is. That, that's, that's what some people say it is. We're not going to get stuck there. This is the first time where the beast is mentioned so far as his, in, in his role as the Antichrist after he says that the, the, you know, the abomination of desolation beast. Okay, so now let's find the next time he's mentioned. Let's go to Revelation 13. Verse number one. Back with the King James. He said, I stood upon the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns ten crowns. And upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power. His power, his seat, and great authority. The dragon there, ladies and gentlemen, is Satan. That's his uh, dragon is his symbolic equivalent in the book of Revelation. Okay. The fact that he looked like a leopard, a bear, and a lion, these coincide with ancient kingdoms found in Daniel chapter number seven. The lion represented Babylon. The leopard represented uh, Greece and the bear represented Medo-Persia. So we're going to have, it's going to have aspects of those, the beast's kingdom will have aspects, aspects of those other great Gentile world powers. But you've got to go to Daniel 7 to get that revelation to understand what, what he means here in Revelation chapter 13. Okay, let's continue reading. He says, And I saw one of his heads that was wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Verse number four. They worshiped the dragon, which is Satan, which gave power unto the beast. 
So the dragon and the beast are two separate individuals. They're on the same side now. They're on the same team. All right. And they worship the beast, saying, who is likened to the beast, who is able to make war with him. And there was given him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemy. Okay. Now, when we go back to Second Thessalonians, you see that he, he, he called himself God and all that. He spoke great things and all that. This is where Revelation here is talking about. He spoke great things and blasphemies. And power was given to him to continue 40 and two months. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to understand this. The beast is only the beast for 42 months. 42 months is equivalent to three and a half years. Three and a half years is the second half of that last prophetic week that they were talking about. At the beginning of that prophetic week, what he does, that the person that becomes the Antichrist, and I keep saying it that way for a reason, the person that becomes the Antichrist after this 42, to begin this 42 months at the last half of this prophetic week, the person, he starts out with that covenant, okay? But three and a half years in, he begins his 42 months as the beast. Now, had the Bible says he was the beast for 84 months, then it would be over with, okay? But he's not. He's only the beast for three and a half years. And notice what he does. So and so here in Revelation, we are, we're told, he opened his mouth, verse number six, he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God and to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and to them that dwell in heaven. And it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over every kindred, tongue, and nation. And all that dwell on the world shall worship him whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life slain from the foundation of the world. Okay, so now, here is the interesting thing, ladies and gentlemen. When John saw him rise up out of the sea, Revelation tells us later on the sea is human it's the sea of humanity. Okay? They seen him rising up out of the sea. Okay. But the first mention of the beast in Revelation eleven connects him to the bottomless pit. That's the first mention. Here, John is seeing him rise up, but John doesn't tell you where he's rising from. Okay? So now, let's go to Revelation 17. So remember, the beast that you saw is. Oh, let's read this first verse again because it's going to be important. 13.1 I stood upon the sands of the sea and I saw the beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns. Remember that symbology. It's important because you're going to see it again. Let's go to Revelation 17. Okay. Revelation 17. All right. Verse number six. Well, let's, let's go to verse number three. Okay, so he carried me away. The he here is an angel. Okay, let's, let's go all the way back to verse number one. And there came one of seven angels which had the seven vials. And he talked with me saying unto me, Come hither and I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. 
of whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scholar colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was written the name Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore dost thou marvel? To put it in today's vernacular, why are you tripping? He says, I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which have the seven heads and the ten horns. Now the reason why, remember Revelation 13, 1, where we read that? He said, I saw, I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. The reason why I read that to you is because I wanted you to be able to connect this. So now he's saying, I'm about to tell you this mystery. Mystery is the hidden counsel of God, secret from the, uh, seek that, that is hidden counsel of God, hidden from men, unless it's revealed by God. God has to reveal it. Uh, through an agency of the Holy Spirit, an angel, or he, he himself, but it's hidden. That's what it's called a mystery, okay? Listen to what he says. Let me read that again. He says, I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her that has the seven heads and the ten horns. Verse number eight. He said, The beast that thou saw, talking about the beast with seven heads and ten horns, was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is ladies and gentlemen angel just dropped a bomb on John. When John was trying to figure all this out, he says, don't trip. I'll tell you the secret behind him. The beast you saw, he comes up. He was, in other words, was active in the earth realm. Is not is not meaning in John's day and shall in the future sin from the bottomless pit. Ladies and gentlemen, the beast comes from the bottomless pit. Okay, now, the logical question is what is the bottomless pit. What is it? 
Let's go way back to Luke chapter number 8. Then we're going to come back to Revelation. Luke chapter 8. We're going to read, begin reading at verse number 28. It says, When he saw Jesus, this is talking about the, uh, in the region of Gadara, there was a demon possessed man. And we're talking about Jesus' encounter with this man. So, verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus? Thou Son of God, Most High, I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes it caught him, and he was caught bound with chains and fetters, and he brake the bands, and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because we be many devils have entered into him. Verse number 31. Listen to this now. They besought him that he would command them, that he would not command them to go out into the deep. Now, this is one of the reasons why I say the King James Version of the Bible will kind of mess you up. Because the deep, the word deep here, you would think it's talking about some water. Now listen to this, verse 32. There was a herd of swine feeding on the mountain, and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter them. And he suffered them. And the devils went out of the man, entered the swine, and the herd of swine violently ran down a steep place into the lake and were choked or drowned. So you would think the deep there is talking about that lake. But it's not, ladies and gentlemen. You know what that word is for the deep? Let me pull this up in the NIV. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. The abyss is the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit is a place for demons. Now, let's bear that out. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, prove all things by the scriptures. Be Bereans. I want you to be Bereans. They didn't believe nothing. Let's say proved it by the scriptures. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. Verse number 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is Satan, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were fulfilled. And after that, he must be let loose a little season. Now we're going to jump down to verse number seven. Listen what it says. And when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be loose out of his prison. Aha. 
There it is. The bottomless pit, ladies and gentlemen, is a prison for fallen angels. It is guarded by an angel who has the key and the chain to restrain the demonic principalities and fallen angels that are then banished and locked in this prison specifically designed for demons. It has a key and the angel has a chain. And guess who the angel gets? Not the screw tape, the, not the screw tape letters, demons. <laughs> no. He gets Satan himself. Now, who bound Satan? That was not the Holy Spirit. That was not God the Father. And it was not Jesus. It was an angel, ladies and gentlemen. An angel. Listen to what it says. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Masculine pronoun. And he, masculine pronoun, laid hold on the dragon. In other words, he grabbed him. He went after him and got him. That old servant which is the devil and bound him a thousand years. Cast him into the bottomless pit. In other words, threw him in there. Shut him up and then set a seal upon him that he should see the sea of the nations no more. Not six angels, not a legion of angels, one angel. Not Michael, not Gabriel, another angel. God got a whole bunch of angels. Come on, I mean, it's not like Michael and Gabriel is only two. This is an unnamed angel, ladies and gentlemen. It don't even say a mighty angel. It doesn't say that. I'm sure he was, he was capable of doing the job. By himself. Again, not the Holy Spirit. Not Jesus. Not God the Father. An angel. Why? Because Satan is an angel. He took him, bound him, cast him into the bottom, and threw his butt off in there, locked him up. And then the Bible says, when he's going to put him in there a thousand years. He said, when a thousand years is up, ladies and gentlemen, then he said, Satan will be let loose out of his prison. So we have established explicitly with the scriptures that are dealing with the Antichrist. Now, this one here isn't dealing with the Antichrist. This is dealing with Satan. But the reason why this was important, ladies and gentlemen, is the same bottomless it. That's the issue. That's the issue. First said, Revelation 17, 8. The beast that thou saw was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. Well, if he comes out of the bottomless pit, we know the bottomless pit is the abyss. We know it is a prison. So the beast that is also a demonic principality, he's not just a man. He's also a demonic principality who used to be. This is why the Bible says he was and is not. Is not in John's day. He was prior to John's day, but he is not. 
And he shall in the future ascend out of the bottomless pit in his time. See, this is why uh, uh, Second Thessalonians said he can only be revealed in his time. Well, the time that he can only be revealed is, is the 42 months, the last half of Daniel's 70 week. He's locked up right now. He was locked up in John's day. Now, he was free at some time. In the, in the past, and Revelation talks about the, the seven heads. I don't have time to get there because I want to get to why it makes a difference. Now, I went through all of this for you to follow me so I can finally get to my premise and get ready to close out. So now when pre-trib went through who's restraining the Antichrist, they didn't use any of these scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. And this is why it's such a crime of what's happened, because they have based an entire rapture scenario off of the fact of this restrainer being the Holy Spirit. When number one, the Bible did not say Paul did not say it was the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I told you these things already when I was with you. So that means he told them we don't know. So what pre-trib did, they went and grabbed their scriptures. John 14, John 16, uh, 1 John 4, 4 and 4, uh, 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 Genesis 6 and 3, and Isaiah 59, 19. And they grabbed those scriptures and they threw them out there and said, this is why we think it's the Holy Spirit in the church. And none of the scriptures that they used to prove their point about the Holy Spirit being the hymn, Second uh, Thessalonians, none of those scriptures had anything to do with Antichrist. None of them had to do with anti prophecy. None of them had to do with apocalyptic literature. And none of them had to do with the restraint of the Antichrist. Those were all unrelated scriptures to prove a point because they're matching up the fact that the Holy Spirit is called a He. Instead of coming to Revelation and looking at the scriptures that actually talk about the Antichrist himself and tell you where he's coming from. If the Antichrist is in a prison, then why come the prison couldn't be what's holding him down? Now, isn't that logical? Why go around the tent and go around the tent chasing your tail with some scriptures that have nothing to do with the restraint of the Antichrist? Why don't you just go to Revelation? Revelation tell you where you come from. He's locked up in a prison. And the one who does the restraining is an angel. Angels are always referred to in a masculine gender. Angels do the restraining. And we even have demons when they were talking to Jesus in Luke 831. We just read it. They begged him, said, we don't want to go to the abyss. That's because the demons knew that that's a prison for demons. So it's not just in Revelation. Now we read it in the Gospels. So pre-trib has painted this entire scenario based off of a restrainer being a Holy Ghost. And if the restrainer goes, then the Holy Ghost, then the church has to go. And they didn't use any of the scriptures that I just showed you. They're not my scriptures. They've been in the Bible. They didn't use any of those. Any of them. They cooked up that based on using scriptures that had nothing to do with the Antichrist. I'm not making that up. That's there for you to read in the Bible. So what difference does it make? Okay, now, so let's get to that. In the final analysis, what difference does it make whether the Holy Spirit is a restrainer or the restraint is of an angelic nature? How does that really impact modern day Christians? Well, the answer is simple. 
If pre-trib is right and the church is raptured before Daniel's 70th week start, then fine. We're gone before all the trouble starts. No harm done. Right? However, if pre-trib is wrong about the Holy Spirit being the one who is to be taken out of the way along with the church, then that would mean millions of Christians would be called flat-footed as the events associated with portions of Daniel's 70th week occur. Specifically, Christians would still be on the earth during the time of the Antichrist after being assured that the church would be raptured by then. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 9 and 10? He said, because they're going to be put to death, they were going to betray one another and they were going to abandon the faith. Remember that? Remember what Paul said, two things had to happen before the day of the Lord come. He said, one of them is going to be a falling away. Ladies and gentlemen, an atheist can't fall away from Christianity because he's not a Christian. That scripture is a prophecy about Christians abandoning, of defecting from the faith. Jesus talked about it. Paul talks about it. He said it's going to be such a noticeable thing, it'll actually be a sign by itself. Then the second thing is the one that's restraining it's going to stop restraining. Then the Antichrist can be revealed. It makes sense. Because we found out that the Antichrist isn't just a man. He's also a demonic principality that's locked up in the abyss. The abyss is a prison. The angels always referred to in a masculine gender, he, him, are the ones with the chains and the key to the bottomless pit. They do the restraining. They do the one, they're the ones who put the, the uh, anybody that goes in the bottomless pit got to go through those angels. The revelation is clear. Revelation 7, 11, 7, I believe, clearly, clearly states that they were, oh, the two witnesses were killed by the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit. That's the law of first mention. It's the first time he's mentioned. He's the first time the beast is mentioned in that reference. He's connected to the bottomless pit. You can't unconnect him to the bottomless pit, ladies and gentlemen. If you do that, you're making a mistake. That's the problem with preach real. It's the beast where he comes from. They didn't use any of these passages. And then in Revelation 17, 8, the angel actually breaks it down. Say the beast that you saw that have the seven heads and ten horns, just like it said in Revelation 13, I saw him rising up out of the sea, seven heads, he said, let me tell you the real deal about him. The real deal is he comes up out of the abyss. He was, he was active before, he's locked up now, he shall ascend out of the abyss, out of the bottomless pit. He said the people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, when he's let loose and manifested in the man of sin, guess what? The whole world's going to wander after him, except those whose names are written in the last book of life because they're true Christians okay the average Christian in America and around the world that accepts pre-trib 
as the only viable rapture option, can hardly wrap their head around the idea of being here during the events of Daniel's 70 week, especially if it calls for dying for the faith. Historically, Christians of the first centuries and in certain countries around the world today live with that exact reality on a daily basis. Consider what John says. Listen to what first John says in First John. He says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you heard, Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know this is the last hour. That's First John 2.18 for the NIV. In other words, this is what he was saying. You know it's the last hour because Antichrists, plural, small ones, are already present. This statement anticipates, not negates, Christian seeing Antichrist. John clearly presupposes that the historic Antichrist, plural, and the eschatological Antichrist, the beast, will be a part of the Christian experience as an indicator of the last hour. That's interesting. Why didn't John say, um, as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. However, even though there will be other Antichrists to deal with as we have today, but do not concern yourself with the last Antichrist because before he comes, we'll already be with the Lord. Why wouldn't he just say that? Okay. Seven ramifications. As I say in all of my teachings, if pre-trib is correct and we're raptured before the 70 week, everything works out exactly as pre-trib choreographs it. And when have any doctrines gotten it, it's all right. Never. Hallelujah, then we're out of here. However, if there's problematic aspects with this theory, as I just showed you, this, this is a major part. I just showed you there's major problems. Then we need to re-examine these positions. By doing so, Christians might be informed properly and not needlessly promote a false assurance. We should not give blind loyalty to a position to a position just for the doctrine or our alma mater or our denomination or our church or even our pastor's sake. Too many lives are at stake. Okay? Seven ramifications. If the Holy Spirit is not the restrainer of Second Thessalonians, chapter two, verse six and seven, then there is no basis to insist that he is removed before the revealing of the Antichrist. Whether it's in his role as the restrainer or in his redemptive role. As Dr. Walver stated, this text contains information found nowhere else in the Bible. Though pre-trib is not solely based on this text, it's the only passage they can use to base their conjecture by drawing a direct connection between the removal of the Spirit and the rapture of the church. It's the only scripture they have that can do that. However, identifying the wrong restrainer sets a false expectation that Christians will be raptured before Daniel, week, Daniel 70 week starts. 
According to pre-trib, the phrase taken out of the way in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 7 is in reference to the removal of the Spirit. However, in Joel 2.28 and Acts 2.17, God gives the Spirit by pouring it out. However, there aren't any scriptures that state that God comes back to take or to remove the Spirit. Now, we have scriptures that say the Spirit was poured out. But there are none that say anywhere that God's coming back to take the Spirit. But that's what pre-trib is suggesting in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Additionally, in each rapture passage, passage, Christ always comes back for the church. It is never said that Christ comes back for the Spirit. Though passages such as John 14.26 inform that the Spirit was sent, however, there aren't any scriptures showing the recall of the Spirit back to heaven. That is an assertion without biblical backing. The entire concept is totally conjectural. That's point number one. Point number two. If the Holy Spirit is not the restrainer, then 2 Thessalonians 2 chapter 2 cannot be used to support a pre-tribulational rapture of the church. Without the spirit being removed here, there is no rapture of the church in this passage at all. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is God. Why would he require being taken out of the way or to be removed? <laughs> would not the spirit withdraw on his own volition? Who is taking authority over God the Holy Spirit to take him out of the way? If it's the Father or the Son commanding the removal of the Spirit, where are the scriptures to back that up? Therefore, 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 and verse 7 cannot be used to support a pre-trib rapture. Okay? Even John MacArthur agrees with that. But for different reasons. This is what he says in his commentary. The removal of the Spirit's restraint, therefore, cannot be identified with the rapture of the church since that even takes place three and a half years earlier, before the tribulation. So, in other words, he's saying, look, y'all shouldn't be using that in the first place to prove no rapture. He said, because the revealing doesn't happen until the middle of the, until the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation happens in the middle of the week. It doesn't happen in the beginning of the week. He says, so you shouldn't be saying, using that text to prove it. He's got a good point there. I agree with him. I've always said you can't use 2 Thessalonians to prove a pre-tribulational rapture because the rapture isn't in that passage. <laughs> Period. Okay? But where I disagree with John MacArthur, he still he believes that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. The, 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 the all pre-tribbers conjecture that part in. That's the point I'm making here. Okay? Alright. Number three. If the Holy Spirit is not to be removed, that means the Spirit's salvific work and the ministries to Christian to the church continues into portions of Daniel's 70th week and the tribulation period. It continues even past Antichrist. 
Now, there's a certain point, because I'm pre-wrath, there's a certain point before we get to the end that the church is raptured prior to Revelation 17, God pouring out the bowls of wrath. Okay? And there's a reason, there's a reason, and, and I, I, I'm not going to get to all that, because the pre-trips would say, no, the wrath of God starts before then, but I'm not going to get in that argument now, but I'm just saying, the rapture happens before God pours those, pours those bowls out. Okay. All right. Pre-tribulation must show explicitly that the spirit has been removed and they cannot. So let me repeat that again. Number three, the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is not removed, that means all of the salvific works and the ministries to Christians and the church continues. In other words, what does the Holy Spirit do to Christians? Well, he infills you. He seals you to the day of redemption. He seats you in heavenly places. You're risen with Christ. You're all of that stuff. He empowers you for services. All of these things. So pre-trib says, oh, he's taken to heaven. So then that means the people that are still on earth that become Christians after that, then that means, and oh, oh, his main mission as the Holy Spirit is to baptize believers into the body of Christ. So if you take the spirit away, then that means anybody saved during the time of Antichrist, and there are people saved. That's why they're called saints. Pre-trib can't deny that. They have to. They're forced to say, "Well, but he's not baptizing them into the body of Christ because the Holy Spirit is already gone." So these are Christians. They're Christians, but they're not part of the church. They're they're because they're not baptized into the body of Christ. They're not. They're not. Do they do not have the indwelling spirit? They don't have any of that. Well, they determine that. Why? Because the Spirit is gone. But that's in their theory the Spirit is gone. They don't have any proof that it's the Spirit. So this is number three. If the Holy Spirit is not removed, then that means all of the Spirit's salvific work and ministries to Christians and the church continues. Okay? Number four. If the Holy Spirit is still present during the tribulation, there is no basis to teach that the so-called tribulation saints do not have the indwelling spirit as many pre-tribulationists teach. John Walford clearly says there's the, that the, uh, uh, the, the tribulation saints do not have the indwelling spirit. They, do, they, they are not baptized into the body of Christ. They're not this. They're saved, yeah, but they, they, get, they get saved some other way because they're not a members of the church. Well, the only reason they're saying that, ladies and gentlemen, is because they teach the Holy Spirit has been taken. But the issue is, if the Holy Spirit is not the restrainer that has been taken out of the way, then that's not true. The Holy Spirit continues. The Holy Spirit hasn't gone anywhere. And the saints of Revelation 13 are not another group of Christians. They are the church. That's the issue. If the Holy, number four, if the Holy Spirit is still present during the tribulation, there's no basis to teach that the so-called tribulation saints do not have the indwelling spirit. Number five, if the Holy Spirit is still present during the tribulation, there's no basis for a reversal of Pentecost. Do you know that pre-trib teaches that there is a reversal of Pentecost? All you have to do, look at look at uh, Dr. Dwight Pentecost's book. It's called Things to Come. You, you could probably find it in a library. So it would be a reference book, unless you get you unless you got this in your library, which I 
probably figure a lot of people don't. You probably could order this book, but look at page 262. He clearly, Walvoord and Pentecost working together, clearly say that. But anyway, the church began on the day of Pentecost. A reversal of Pentecost would mean the end of the church age. You get it? If the church came on the, uh, uh, on the day of Pentecost, then a reversal of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit supposedly is taken away would be the reversal of Pentecost. Okay? So that's a theological point that they make, right? All right? Though pre-tribulations assert the spirit goals in the same manner it came. You know, they, that's what they say. Pre-tribulations assert that the spirit goes in the same way it came. The problem with that is, there aren't any scriptures documenting the departure of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have the text of the spirit being poured out. But since pre-trib says it's the Holy Spirit that's going to be taken out of the way, which amounts to a reversal of Pentecost, because Pentecost started the church, and, and according to pre-trib, the Holy Spirit being taken away, taken, taken out of the way, is the end of the church. That's why they call it a reversal of Pentecost. Okay, that's what you say. That's fine. Okay, I can go with that. The problem is, show me the passage where the Holy Spirit leaves. Where's that in the Bible? I hear you saying it. I hear you saying, well, oh, just as the Holy Spirit came, uh, he'll be taken in the same way. That's fine. Okay, fine. I, I hear you. Would you show me that in Scripture, please? I can show you where the Holy Spirit came. Now, we can go, we can, we can go right to uh, uh, at the book of Acts and, and the book of uh, 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 Acts chapter 2. And we can go right to uh, Joel chapter 2. It's right there. We can see that said, Lord said, I will pour out my spirit. And I believe that I see that. But would you please show me the passage of the Holy Spirit leaving the same way it came? Crickets. There are no scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. That is a theological assumption. It cannot be denied that Pentecost, the church started on Pentecost. But the problem is, you can't show where the Holy Spirit leaves, though. On this point, later tribulationists have adopted their position because it can't be denied that salvation is still occurring during the tribulation. Clearly, the Revelation 13 saints are Christians that remain faithful to Jesus. Okay, Their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They are in the first resurrection. Salvation is not possible without the regenerative work of, of the Holy Spirit. No man can call Jesus Lord, except for, especially when facing death, without the Holy Spirit. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13. So to overcome this problem, Pre-Trib now claims that the Holy Spirit only terminates part of his work. They claim that the Spirit is only removed in his restrainer role, but he continues to save in his redemptive role. Well, that's convenient. That's cool. However, once again, though Pre-Tribulists may make that argument, the problem is there aren't any scriptures to show that the Spirit splits his functions. He goes to heaven as a restrainer, but stays on earth as the redeemer. 
Where's where's that verse again? Crickets. There is no verse for that. There is not. Number six. If the Holy Spirit is not the restrainer that is removed, then there is no basis that claims that the saints of Revelation 13 cannot be, a, cannot be a part of the church. You see, they claim the Revelation 13, that they call them tribulation saints, right? They claim they're not a part of the church. Well, why are they not part of the church? Because the Holy Spirit is gone. And it takes the Holy Spirit to infill you and seal you and all of that and to baptize you into the body. So since they teach that it's gone, they and, and but clearly the Bible says that there are saints still here, Agios. They're still here. So now they got to account for them. Well, how do you account for some people becoming saints and becoming Christians, remaining faithful to Jesus under the threat of death without the Holy Spirit? Number one, they, they, they knew that wouldn't work. So they, so they said, OK, then, well, the Holy Spirit just goes back to heaven as a restrainer, but he stays on earth as a redeemer and as a saver and continues his salvific work. So they had to come up with that. That's crazy. Because they don't have any scriptures for that. So the bottom line is, if the Holy Spirit hasn't left, and the Holy Spirit's ministry of sealing, redeeming, and baptizing into the body hasn't stopped, then there's no basis to say that the Revelation 13 saints are not part of the church. Then you have no basis to say that. Of course they're Christians. Of course it's the church. Of course this is why Jesus wrote the book of Revelation and gave the revelation to John for the church in the first place. That's <laughs> why he did it. Why do you think the book of Revelation is there? Who do you think they're talking to? The Muslims? The Baha'i? The Shintus? The people of all these other religions? He gave it to the Christians, ladies and gentlemen. We're the, we're, we're the, we're the custodians of the, of, the, of the New Testament. The Jews don't have it. They don't even read the New Testament. They, they don't believe in Jesus. They think Jesus was a criminal. He died amongst two thieves like he was supposed to because he was a false prophet. That's what they think. And he didn't raise for the dead. And he certainly didn't die for nobody else's sins. And you Christians are crazy for following a man that we think was a, was a false prophet. That's what Jews think. Unless they're, unless they're Messianic Jews and they're, they've, they've, they've converted to Christianity. But that's what an Orthodox Jew thinks of our Jesus and our eschatology. Okay? If the Holy Spirit is not the restrainer that is being removed, then there is no basis to claim that the saints of Revelation 13 cannot be a part of the church. The claim that the tribulation sets, saints are a separate group only works if the Holy Spirit stops baptizing believers into the body of Christ. If the Spirit is still here and not removed, his work in baptizing believers into the body of Christ continues. Pre-tribulists may argue otherwise, but they have no; they cannot prove it with the scriptures. They must conclude that people are still being saved. They're still being saved, even during the reign of the Antichrist. There's no way they can get out of that. And wait a minute. 
They teach that the Holy Spirit is gone. Listen to this in Revelation 13. Revelation 14, 13. This is what it says. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labors and their deeds do follow them. Wait a minute. Why is the Holy Spirit confirming those who die in the Lord? How do you die in Christ? In Christ is a work of the Holy Spirit because he's the one that baptizes you. And this is why the Holy Spirit speaks here because it's in reference to people that belong to him. One of the few places in Revelation that the Spirit speaks right here though, he speaks. Guaranteeing the Christians that get killed by the Antichrist, he said, oh, your word's going to follow you. He, he said, I'm the comforter. I'm giving you comfort right now. I'm telling you, you get beheaded, don't worry about it. We got you. You're no different than any other Christian that died during the first 300 years of the church or anybody else has been beheaded. You're not even, look, Jesus was martyred, right? We called it a sacrifice and all that. He was the Lamb of God who was sacrificed, but he was killed, ladies and gentlemen. All right? Jesus ain't asking you, to, those Christians of those days, to do no more than what he did. He died. And that's why Revelation says they, they loved not their lives even unto the death. Okay, last but not least. Because I know y'all, I got, I got more to give, but I know y'all are getting antsy here because I'm over two hours. Okay, now. F last but not least, number seven. If the Holy Spirit is not the restrainer that is being moved, then the left behind scenario that many Christians expect to transpire is completely fictitious. This concept by Tim LaHaye, and I forget the other guy's name, was popularized particularly in the book series and the movie. You see, if the pre-trib is right, then what happens before Daniel 70 week even gets here, Christians by surprise, whatever they're doing, this is going to be raptured, Okay. That's what's going to throw the world into chaos. All the planes are going to be falling, cabs crashing, trains running over people, all that stuff, right? All right, all this stuff is going to happen because now the Holy Spirit is gone, the restrainer of Jesus, and it's going to throw the world into chaos. So the trivia is so, so the rapture actually triggers the chaos because of the departure of the saints and, uh, and all the stuff that's going to happen immediately upon them leaving. So that's the that's the left behind. And so everybody else that's on earth to deal with all that chaos are the left behind people. Okay? So that's how that scenario goes. But if the Holy Spirit is not the restrainer, that scenario is not even going to happen at all. You know what's going to happen? Christians are still going to be here. They're going to do exactly what Jesus said. They're going to defect from the faith because now their lives are threatened. They're going to run. They're going to head for the hills. Same thing Paul says. They're going to be falling away first. Because why? Because people going to, it's the, the life is going to be online. Then number two, the Antichrist is going to set up a, a number system where you can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. That's going to be further problems. People are going to be getting jailed. People are going to be getting hunted down. Whole nine yards. Parents betraying kids. Kids betraying parents. going to be a mess. Jesus talked about it. He said, but behold, I'm telling you this ahead of time. This is going to be a rough one. It's, it's, it's not going to be like any other time. 
Antiochus Epiphanes in 167 BC, where the holiday Hanukkah was created because they, he went in and desecrated the temple. He did a lot of bad things, but this is going to be far worse than what Antiochus did. Antiochus actually is a type of Antichrist, and that's why Jesus said, when you therefore see the things spoken of by Daniel the prophet, uh, this, uh, 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 the abomination of desolation. He's looking back at Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a type of Antichrist, while looking forward to the eschatological Antichrist. Okay? So, this whole left-behind scenario, that's, that it's not going to happen. Because Christians will still be here. They'll enter the, into the 70 week. They'll enter in. They'll still be here when Antichrist is here. So, since that's the case, they're not going to be flying any planes. Because you'll need the mark of the beast to get that. You'll need the mark of the beast to stay on your job. You'll need the mark of the beast to buy and sell. To even participate in the economy. You're not going to be flying any planes. You're going to be hiding. You're going to be running. You're going to be hunted down. The purpose of Revelation was to tell us all of this ahead of time so that we could get it in our spirits that when this happens, I don't know if it happens to this generation, I don't know which generation, but Christians are supposed to be ready. That's the purpose of Revelation. Not so somebody can come along and say, oh, you're not going to be here and it's, this applies to somebody else. That's the left behind. They made the left behind, folks. <laughs> Jesus was writing to the church, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. So the left behind scenario is not even going to happen if the Holy Spirit is not the restrainer of 2 Thessalonians. So when you say what difference does it make? It makes a big difference. Like the line in what Rhett Butler told this one uh, uh, in the, the movie Gone with the Wind. One of the lines he made when it, the uh, the uh, the rumors, the word had got out that it was going to be a civil war. One of the southern boys says, so what if they got cannon factories and we don't? Who cares? Red Butler looked over here. He said, he said, I'm afraid. He said, what difference does it make? He said, I'm afraid it's going to make a big difference to a great many men. What difference does it make? Whether the restrainer is the angel or Holy Spirit? I'm afraid it's going to make a great bit of difference to a great many Christians. But here's the double hooker of all. Dr. John MacArthur now teaches you can get the mark of the beast and still be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, that's very disappointing. So now you got people thinking they're not going to be here because they're believing the left behind scenario they're going to end up here they're going to start going through persecution just like Jesus said they're going to defect from the faith those who defect from the faith guess where they're going to defect to they're going to end up getting Mark of the Beast the Bible guarantees you you get that mark you're going to hell read Revelation 14 very very clear very clear you can't miss it John MacArthur says oh God doesn't mean what he says there he doesn't mean it. Sure, you can you can get the mark of the beast and still be redeemed. See, that's what happens when you get all those degrees behind your name and you're president of a college and you write books and people respect you and kiss your rear end and all that stuff. And you can say something stupid like that and people believe you. 
Jimmy D. Young, Brandon House, all these other people that teach that have gotten on that bandwagon with John MacArthur. People who believe pre-trib are being set up big time. And the bad thing about it, then they're being told, guess what? And if you are here, you get to market a piece. Oh, God understands. He all right. Let me read this scripture and I'm going to let you go. Revelation chapter 14. I want you to be the judge of this. I want you to be the judge. Revelation 14, 9. And the third angel follows saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone and the presence of holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. They have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image as whosoever receive the mark of his name. Ladies and gentlemen, that does not sound like a kumbaya Jesus who's going to let you go and get that mark. I don't care what John MacArthur or anybody else says. You better look at the, what the Bible says. Ladies and gentlemen, basically what I just went over is the last chapter of my book that's going to be coming out. I will probably, again, won't release it until the sometime in the uh, fall. It depends on how this COVID-19 thing goes and whether people can come to churches and all that, how, how that happens. But it'll be coming out soon. And I want you to get a copy of it because it's going to be a powerful, powerful. I'm not looking to seek a name for myself. I want Christians to understand. The book of the Revelation was given for a reason. Not so we can have theological debate on who's not going to be here. That's not the reason why God gave it. He's very, very clear that the saints are still here. And we're going to talk about it in another podcast, why the word church isn't found. And, and, and that's a misconcept altogether. It's just a ridiculous thing that they say. And they, this is it's one of the how, they, how they connect the leaves, how they connect the dots. Uh, they drop the tea, connect the tea leaves. A pre-trib does a bunch of that stuff. They, they say a lot of things that are not actually backed by scripture. But anyway, God bless you and thank you. Thank you for supporting. Pray for me and share this because I do a great overview in this. Listen, share this podcast with somebody and tell them, please listen to Dr. Dennis James Woods in the Revelation Revolution. Until we meet again, God bless you and keep you in Jesus' name.